one image in the Old Testament that you touched on earlier, but I think it'd be good to unpack for a few minutes, is, is that of circumcision. What's the relationship between circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament? Let's just establish the connection between those two sacraments. Paul does it most clearly, I think, in Colossians 2, when he says, um, in Christ, it's Colossians 2 from verse 11, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by, so he's, he's now he's saying, so you, because they're, the, one of the concerns that is like, well, don't we have to obey the, what the law says in the Old Testament? So we'll let, we, we need to be circumcised because if we're, if what, we'll look at it in a minute, but circumcision in the Old Testament is the sign of the covenant. And anyone who doesn't have that sign of circumcision, man, any man that doesn't have it, it's literally they're not, uh, they're not part of church in the Old Testament. We'll see that. The Lord said, I reject anyone who isn't that. So it's that serious. So, of course, the Colossians are like, so we have to be circumcised then. We have to be. So these people, because we know there were these what we call Judaizers who were going around saying to people, yeah, it's good that you've joined church, but make sure you do what the law says you have to do. And, and then it, very reasonably, you've got to be circumcised. That's what all converts did in the Old Testament. They were circumcised. Right. But Paul's like, no, no. Um, yeah, that is that is true, actually. So you have to have the reality that circumcision is talking about. You have to be circumcised, but you, you have been circumcised, not with the sacrament of circumcision done by human hands, but, he says... By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So then he explained. So you can see there, he's like, so you have been circumcision, circumcised. Not just in the outward sacrament, but in this other thing, this circumcision that Christ has done, which is the putting of what cutting off of the flesh, and now not just that little bit of flesh, but you as a the whole of you as flesh has to be cut off, and then you need to be the whole of you raised to a new life. So you have to have a death and a resurrection, and that is done, he says, in baptism. So he says you don't there, you do need this, this sacrament that, that of of this death and resurrection, but you don't need the circumcision that's done by human hands. You can you have had that same sacrament in the form of baptism. Both the same you can see, can't we? Baptism and circumcision are are signs of the same reality of death and resurrection. Look, he explains a little bit more in verse 13. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So what he's saying is your flesh has to die, 
has, so that's what the, the original sacrament was about. That, that little bit of flesh on that bit of the body is cut off. Why that bit in that way? Well, because that part of the body is where we believe we get new life. New life. And we, we have tremendous pride and confidence in this ability, in that, in lots of things that that part of the body is associated with. There's tremendous confidence in the flesh to bring new life, to have a new beginning, and to be virile and strong and all this sort of thing. And so the Lord's like, no, you cannot bring new life from that part of your body. You cannot. And there is no strength and virility that you have that can give you the life you need. So let us make the cut, the cutting off of your flesh, and that represents that bit, the foreskin, represents the whole of you. That like he's saying here, Paul in Colossians 2, it's the whole of your life is the uncircumcision. And that has, so when Abraham, and we can look at that in Genesis 17, is he cuts off that bit of flesh. It's saying my flesh can't save me. I can't, even with that part of my body, produce new life. And I cut it off and throw it away as, and to say, I can't, my flesh that must die. It has to all be cut off. And I have to get new life from a totally different source. I need a resurrection to a new life. So that's why when Moses says the same thing, he says, circumcise your hearts, not just your flesh. He's telling them that that sign was a sign of the need to be born again, to be resurrected. And he's saying to them, particularly that first generation, he's saying to them, and but he tells the second generation too, listen. You've got the sign. Have you got the reality? Have you actually cut off your flesh and had a new birth in Christ? Jeremiah says it. Jeremiah says it as well. Circumcision. Have you had the, the reality of circumcision? Is that you can, The sign on its own is not going to save you. You've got to have the reality of death to the flesh and resurrection into a new life. And it, in Romans 5... Paul says that circumcision is a sign of justification by faith. And that's powerful, too, because, again, it's that sense of saying, I can't do it. I can't save myself. I, nothing I do, even that, because a newborn baby is the greatest example of new life we ever see in, the, in our flesh. Our flesh can produce that. But again, like we have to note that is not the new life that will save us. Even that, a newborn baby that just smells of life, kind of. But it, that's not... In, so in justification by faith there, um, circumcision, uh, or is it, is it chapter four? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Romans chapter four. It's a sign of... Look, um, Romans four, verse um, 11... Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness by faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. Well, you know, you get it. So it's a sign of justification by faith, circumcision. 
And you'll, that's very clearly spelled out. Now, that's important because when we go back to the original sign of circumcision given in Genesis 17, he says um, uh, from verse 9 and 10, you know, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you. This is my covenant between me and you and your descendants. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations, whoever's born in your house. And then he says, of course, um, look at verse 14. The uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. So there, first of all, that it's not an optional thing. It's so serious that to, to not have the sacrament of circumcision meant you're not part of church. And if you remember, Moses had forgotten to circumcise his little boy. And the Lord in, at the beginning of Exodus comes to kill him. And then Zipporah has to really quickly do a, I hope she was careful, but she obviously did a quick job and quick, quick circumcision, and um, saved Moses' life. But the Lord was so angry that Moses had failed to do that, because, of course, Moses is going to be administering so many sacraments in the law. If he can't get this one, if he's not bothering with that one, it's serious. It's serious. So anyway, so first of all, it wasn't an optional extra. It was super serious, and it meant membership of church or not. And I, that's how we regard baptism. It's membership of church or not baptism. So I, that's the present in, in, the, in the circumcision form of this sacrament. But notice it was given to the male child on the eighth day. So it's a little baby. And that's important. Why? We Because sometimes people say, oh, circumcision wasn't a spiritual thing. I've often heard people say this. It was just a kind of ethnic thing. It was just a physical thing. And now baptism is a spiritual thing. Well, I'm like, is is both of them are entirely physical activities. It's not as if we don't use water, we use ether gained from the heavenly realms. No, no, you just use water out of a tap. It's just as it's a totally physical activity in exactly the same way that certainly is a totally physical activity. The only Suppose difference in one sense is that is a sacrament of blood because blood is generated by it. And Zippera emphasizes that in that Exodus passage in which he calls Jesus the bridegroom of blood um, because of it. And so uh, whereas baptism, there isn't blood. And that's, of course, quite important because we don't want sacraments that use actual blood now because the blood has been shed, the blood. So the, in the Old Testament, sacraments were just full of blood all the time. Uh, and women, of course, had a kind of sacrament of blood through the menstrual cycle, and there's so much about that in the law. Blood is so big. So for the men who don't have the inbuilt sacrament of the incarnation and so on, and the death and resurrection. Women have the inbuilt sacrament of death and resurrection and incarnation and all that sort of thing. Guys didn't have it, so they had to cut that bit off to get in on the uh, sacrament of blood. But now, um, the so the Lord re replaces it and says, "No, we need we need the same sacramental reality, 
But uh, let's do a bloodless one. And it, so he, he goes, he, he replaces circumcision with baptism and men and women participated in the same way. But it's given to an eight-day-old baby. Uh, so it's, it's no less spiritual. As we've seen, circumcision meant in the Old Testament, that's why Moses says it means circumcision of the heart. It's about resurrection and new birth. So in Genesis 17, it's given to the eight-day-old eight baby, and it's a sign of being regenerate, resurrected, new birth, and it's a sign of justification by faith in Christ. Now, you can say, of those eight-day-old babies, how many of them genuinely had faith in Christ when they were eight days old? Well, someone like John the Baptist, obviously, he, he'd, been, he'd, he'd been believing in Christ for months by then. Or Jeremiah seems to be another one who, even in the womb, is, is, exercises faith in Christ. But um, it's not relevant. It's not important. The point is, church is making this statement about that child. Church, that's why it's really important with baptism that we, the emphasis is not what is the testimony of this person. The important thing is what is church saying about this person? Church is saying, you belong to us. You're a member of our community. And so with those children, it's like we claim you. You are a covenant child. You belong to church. You are going to be brought up as a Christian, as a member of church. You will pray. You will read the scriptures. You will come along to these gatherings where we join with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. You are part of this. It's not as if to say, no, you're a pagan until you decide to join. No, 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 that's rubbish. You're not a pagan. You're a church person. You're a covenant child. You belong to the Lord. You belong to church. You're, we're not giving you a decision to make. That decision's already made. We're claiming you. You're part of us now. Now, of course, that child might grow up and leave. That's the tra tragic thing. They might do that. But that's that they have that what we're doing when we baptize a child is we're saying we're claiming this child as part of church and we're we're going to bring them up as believers, as per, as one of us. As well. And that's what they were told to do in the Old Testament church with their children. They weren't saying, oh no, no, don't don't involve them, don't involve them until they've made their own decision to join. No. He says, you must. Discuss these things at home as you're walking along, getting dressed, sitting down at the table. You are drumming it into the kids. And when they ask questions, answer the questions. Make sure they know this stuff from the earliest days. And then beautifully, Jesus does that, doesn't he? When he, all the little kids and it's little children, it's not like teenagers, it's the little children. And they want to come to him. And the disciples are kind of saying that modern view. Oh, no, no, no. Children can't understand this. It's too much for them, you know. That but Jesus is like, no, come here. Let let's let, let me have the kids because it's like. And he actually says, you should be more like them. So I like the fact that when I hold a little baby and baptize them, I like the fact that they don't understand. They can't say anything. They can't do anything. They're weak. They're helpless. They're kind of ignorant. And yet. 
this claim of Christ to give new life and bringing him into this church family is laid upon this little baby. And that reminds us we're always helpless. We're always like that. We're always dirty nappies spiritually, if not physically. And that's us. That's us. And so there's something so powerful about the helplessness of a little baby that's welcomed in and claimed for Christ and church. And of course, our ancestors, people like Luther, he got tremendous assurance from the fact that he was baptized as a helpless little baby because he knew he always was. We're always that helpless. Uh, so there's something very powerful about that. And so that, you know, give the sign to them on the eighth day and claim them so that, you know, they, they, in, in other words, you want my experience when sometimes people say to me, when did you become a Christian? I always say, do you know, I can't remember a time when I didn't believe in Jesus. I was brought up in church and it was drummed into me. And I was my earliest memory is being held in my mum's arms when I was obviously a very small child at a harvest festival service at Mia Brow. And when we worked it out, I was less than one when I had that memory. That was we worked out when when that happened and we found that it was, a you know, the whole all the churches in the area gathering for Harvest Festival at the time. I was less than one. And I have that little memory that in my mind of, of that. And, 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 and oh, you know, I, how, how big of an impact did that have on me? I don't know. But that notion that church claimed me and said to me that Christ has new life for you. Receive it. It's for you. We're bringing you in on this. When I was so tiny, 